Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this podcast, we will talk Magic Raptors playoffs with the radio voice of the Orlando Magic, Dennis Newman. He's standing by in the virtual green room. And we'll also be joined this evening by Trace Troco. He is the co-host of the Nightline podcast on the Nightline Sports Network. We will recap UCS spring game and last week's Hall of Fame inductions. But first, Tiger wins the Masters. I gloriously proclaimed in my last podcast that he would not win, that he didn't have it to go all the way and prove it wrong as Tiger takes another green jacket, his first in 14 years, his fifth overall, gets his 15th major, only trails Jack Nicholas by three now, and America loves their redemption stories. Tiger gives them a glorious ending if he chose to quit now, he would, but still going to try to build on that. Can he win more majors? I didn't think he could do it again this time around. And it was interesting that at the heart of Amen Corner is where his prayers were answered. Francesco Molinari, Tony Finau, finding the water. Tiger played for his three and seized control of the tournament at that point. Now, the CBS coverage was, you know, just as you would expect it to be. They go all Tiger all the time, and I, you know, I don't know that in this case it's it's not deserving, but they do get really, really, they really will just pour it on thick. So, needless to say, Tiger has answered the critics. Well, there are going to be critics out there now about the Tampa Bay Lightning, the team in the NHL with the best regular season record, ousted, swept in the first round by the Columbus Blue Jackets. So that is going to go down as one of the all-time collapses in league history. Pittsburgh Penguins out too, swept by the New York Islanders. That's opening up a Easier path for the defending Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals. We'll see how that comes along. Time now to dig into the Magic Raptors playoff series. And joining us to do that is Dennis Newman, the radio voice of the Orlando Magic. Dennis, thanks for taking the time. Uh, it's great to be with you, Jeff, especially this time of year. I always like to talk about the playoffs. Absolutely. Before we talk about the first two games, how much are you looking forward to the Magic hosting their first playoff game in seven years at the Amway? Well, I'm greatly looking forward to it. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of excitement here in Orlando, as you would expect. I mean, it's been a long, long time. Uh, you know, I don't think I realized it, Jeff, until we did that first game in Toronto. And, and you realize the stark difference between the NBA regular season and the postseason. It's a different game. It just seems like it's so much more fun for the fans, the players, those of us that broadcast the games. And uh, I know there's a lot of people looking forward to this game coming back to Orlando tomorrow night. It, it, it should be fun. And what, it's been seven years. There's a lot of people that can't wait. 
No doubt about it. And in game one, you know, the Magic achieved what they needed to to help uh, force home court advantage back to Orlando. Had a big lead in a wild back and forth game. That big lead got away. They had to rally. And then at the end, DJ hits the big three to win it. Yeah, it was a terrific game. You know, in, in some ways, as I look back now after the two games and you get, you know, a little a little hindsight, you kind of digest what happened. I think the Magic may have caught the Toronto Raptors a little off guard. You know, you wouldn't think that would happen in the NBA postseason, but I really do think it was a Toronto team that went into that series pretty confident. I mean, I, I can remember reading that day a lot of stories about, you know, is this an NBA Finals team? And we all know, you know, there's some stages that, that you have to go through to get to the NBA Finals. After that, we saw as they recovered, they adjusted in game two. It was a completely different story. Now the question is, can the Magic do the same thing? Now can the Magic react, adjust, and come out Friday night in game three and play better? So, yeah, Nikola Vucevic and Derek Ross, their usual output is down in this series, especially Vucevic, Vucevic who is being neutralized by Marc Gasol. Those two will need to be heard from for the Magic, I would assume, to have some success. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, this is a crazy series right now for Nick Vucevic, who's averaging just nine points a game. You know, he was around, what, 20, 21 points a game during the regular season. And, and you're right. I mean, give Gasol credit, although as a team, I think, they're doing a great job defending, just swarming Booch every time he touches the basketball. So the Magic, as Steve said at practice today, they're just going to have to handle this different. They're going to have to cut better. The ball's going to have to move better. The screens much be better. Uh, and Booch is going to have to react better. He's, he's probably going to have to get rid of the ball initially, quickly, and make the defense move, make them work, and see if that makes a difference. And as you mentioned in Game 2, we, we saw why Toronto is a two-seed in the East and why Kawhi Leonard is a superstar in this league, no doubt. Oh, this is a fabulously talented Toronto team. I, you know, I, I think all of us knew that going in. And, you know, the stories I alluded to earlier about is this a finals team, it very well could be. I mean, this is this is a really good basketball team. This is, that was good last year and, what, made it to the second round, goes out being swept by uh, LeBron and the and the Cavaliers, but this is a good team. Um, so you know you got to do a, a lot of things better. You know you can't do things okay. What what was the old quote from uh, David Robinson, the the All Star for many years, won a lot of rings with San Antonio? He says, you know, it's the NBA playoffs. There's no room for okay. It, it has to be a little better than that. So do you think the you know the Magic have been hot at the Amway Center? Have finally you know, established a home court advantage during the regular season? you think they'll be able to carry that through and, and uh, at least split with Toronto here at home? You know, I don't know. I, I really don't know. You, you know, this is a young basketball team. There, there's a lot of learning going on right now. I think Steve Clifford has really carried this team emotionally through the year as the head coach. And and today, I think he had some, some great words for them, you know, telling the team, you know, you guys don't realize still, we're in the first round of the playoffs now, you still don't realize how good you can be when you play our game the way we're supposed to play as the Orlando Magic, not the way someone else, the Warriors or the Celtics is supposed to play, but the way we are supposed to play. And they proved it. I mean, coming down the stretch, they won, what, 22 of the last 31 games just to get into the playoffs. So I, I think the story is still to be written. I mean, there's a lot of experience being gained here. Can they win one at home and, and push it a little further? We'll see. Uh, but again, it, it all, as you know, Jeff, just comes down to adjustments and, and how you react 
under that pressure situation. And the bottom line, I think, too, we haven't even talked about yet, you've got to make more shots. I mean, the Magic are shooting 39% from the floor in this series against a good defense, granted, but 39% rarely going to get you a win in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, the Magic are in their 30th season. You've been along for the ride for, what, 28 of those, I think? I have. Yes. Hard to believe, but true. Yeah, so so what would you say is your favorite moment over the over your time with the Magic? Well, you know, it's, it's like choosing between your children, I guess. But <laughs> You can do two if you want. <laughs> was the win in the NBA NBA Finals. We won again a game against the Lakers. And, that, you know, it was just a wonderful accomplishment, not only to get to the Finals, but, you know, the first time the Magic were in the Finals in 95, they were swept. It was a close period swept by Houston. But to get to the Finals in 09, win a game and, and really be competitive in, in most of those games against Kobe and the Lakers, um, that, that probably, for me, that, that had to be the highlight so far. So how much has the game changed in the last 30 years? I mean, could a 90s Magic team be competitive in today's NBA where, you know, back in the day, you probably had maybe one or two long-distance shooters. Now teams throw out a whole lineup full of them. Yeah, it's a stark difference. I mean, it's a, it's a completely different game. And I, I truly believe the answer would be no. I don't think a team from the 90s could be competitive uh, because of the shooting. I mean, these kids come out now, they all shoot, and they're all shooters initially, it seems. I mean, these aren't kids that are learning to shoot, though some of them are, but there's a lot of kids coming out, just unbelievable three-point shooters and can really shoot the basketball. Now, uh, on the bottom side of that, I think we've lost a lot of the fundamentals of the game, but the shooting is completely different, and it, it's changed the game drastically, where now you've got, you know, that's a bigger floor now, and, and guys are making shots from all over the floors we've seen here the last couple of weeks from uh, Steph Curry and others. Yeah, so a guy like Taco Fall down the street at UCF, who's strictly an inside player when fives now go out to the three-point line quite a bit, that would be a tall order for him to uh, to transition his game to the NBA, I would think. Boy, it is. And, you know, it's not that it can't be done, Jeff, but I believe you're right. I, I just think if you're a big man in the NBA today and you can't shoot, it, it's you better do something very, very well. And that's what you've always heard said about an NBA player. You can make it in the NBA. If you do one thing better than anybody else but it's tough if you don't shoot the three ball in this day's nba really difficult to make it so as the magic uh, go into game three who do you think is the x factor for the magic well I, you know for me i think it i think it's jonathan isaac we can talk about Vooch all we want i mean he's really facing a lot of pressure defensively but jonathan isaac is the guy i think the raptors are playing off of you'll see a lot of switches and they're playing off the guy guarding Jonathan Isaac and running at Vooch. What Jonathan has to do is make shots, and, and he hasn't been able to do that yet in this series. And he, 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 as you know, if you follow this team during the year, he made shots in the regular season. But uh, what is he, one for ten outside the arc? I think if he can start out Friday night and make some early shots, I think it's going to stretch that Raptors defense just enough to give the Magic a little breathing room. For me, it would be Isaac and his play in Game 3 that might be pivotal. Well, Dennis, have a great call tomorrow night and the rest of the way. We do appreciate you joining us on the program. Jeff, it's always good to catch up with you. Hope to see you soon. That's the great radio voice of the Orlando Magic, Dennis Newman. And uh, he is certainly one of the... uh, 
You know, I had Andrew Monaco on my podcast, uh, who worked for the Magic back in the day, and referenced him as one of the nicest guys in the broadcasting business. Certainly the same, I would say, about Dennis Newman, grade A individual. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to learn just to say Vooch and trying to say, instead of trying to say Vucevic. You listen to this podcast enough, you know I get tongue-tied easily and often, (laughs) and his name certainly ties me in knots. Time now to look back at the UCS Spring Game and last week's Hall of Fame inductions. Joining me now is one of my colleagues at the Nightline Sports Network, where I host the AAC Report. He's the co-host of Nightline. We welcome Trace Trucco. Hi, are you, Trace? Doing well. Thanks uh, for having me on. Hey, I appreciate you being here. And, of course, you and Andrew did a full recap of the Spring Game on Nightline Episode 187. And now that we're past the initial reaction, the dust has settled for a few days where do you see how things stand in the quarterback battle? Uh, the $64,000 question, right? Yes, got to start uh, with the big I don't know that we learned a great deal. You know, uh, we'll talk a little bit ahead about the Athletics Hall of Fame, and one of the inductees is George O'Leary, and during George O'Leary's tenure, practice was open, so you could see a great deal more. With Coach Josh Heupel, that is not the case. Uh, we were permitted as members of the media see two practices early on, which uh, included stretching exercises and not much else. So for all of us, we really got to see our first glimpse of them in action and nothing is settled, of course, and no one expected that it would be. Still feel going in that it's Daryl Mack Jr.'s job to lose, perhaps. Uh, You know, he has a bit more experience in the system. Of course, Brandon Wimbush, high-profile transfer from Notre Dame, comes over with, you know, quite a few more starts uh, with the Fighting Irish than Daryl Mack Jr. has had with the Knights. Uh, So it will play out over the summer. And, you know, who does the work in the weight room and who bonds with uh, the team and who's uh, best at that playbook, uh, you know, We'll we'll find out come fall. Nothing's going to be settled. And my guess is, while I don't know who the starter will be, I think we will end up seeing both gentlemen in some form or fashion uh, during the season. So we got to see all the stretching and things like that. So who is the best stretcher on the team? Give us the full scouting report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cannot assess that. Uh, they're, 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 to quote uh, Coach Heifel, there's not a lot of separation on that point. <laughs> There you go. Uh, so, anybody in particular stand out for you in in the spring contest? Well, it's a it's a good question. It seems every spring, and you know, perhaps we uh, make too much out of the spring game. It is really a glorified practice, a scrimmage. But there's always someone that makes a bit of a name for themselves. A year ago, it was Greg McRae, you know, foreshadowing a tremendous season uh, at running back. Jacob Harris is a name you might want to keep an eye on. Uh, he's versatile, can play tight end, perhaps be utilized as a wide receiver, crowded wide receiver field, but opportunities now for someone to step up as tight end after, uh, you know, Kalubiali, Michael Kalubiali's uh, long tenure with the Knights uh, has come to an end, finally. After, 50, uh, after, after 57 years, year right? <laughs> 
Say again? After 57 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, opportunity for him, and, and he took full advantage of that. Uh, a couple of touchdown receptions, uh, perhaps could have had a couple more. And uh, he's got a background as a soccer player, which uh, is interesting. He spoke to that in the post-game media session. Uh, so, he certainly has the cardiovascular fitness to help stretch the field for the Knights. And he, he is certainly someone that uh, made a name for himself and uh, also Bentavious Thompson, uh, the running back. Uh, so, you know, those are some names that, uh, you know, we might want to keep an eye on come fall. So I know it is spring keeping on that theme. Do you see any areas of concern? I think for me, and I know some might disagree, uh, but I do think quarterback is an area of concern. A year ago, we would have been talking about the Heisman candidacy of one Mackenzie Milton. Mm-hmm. And that means uh, that no matter who emerges, uh, and also in the mix in that quarterback room, Quadri Jones and the uh, freshman from Hawaii, friend of Mackenzie Milton, Dylan Gabriel, no matter who it is as signal caller, uh, there's certainly not Mackenzie Milton, who has a great deal of experience in this system uh, from being a true freshman and an up-and-down year, uh, his first year coming in, a couple of games in against Maryland and a high-profile game at UCF. Of course, the undefeated national championship season and last season until his injury on Black Friday. So for me, uh, you know, when you're talking about a 25 game winning streak a lot of that most of that Mackenzie Milton there there feels like there's a potential drop-off uh, I'd be happy to be proven incorrect in that but uh, you know the difference between 11 and 0 12 and 0 and perhaps nine and three uh, could be a game here or there that's close that you know maybe UCF doesn't score 48 points to win 48 44. Maybe you're a more pedestrian 40 points, but maybe you don't win that game if you can't outscore the opponent. So that's one area of concern. Uh, Certainly with the graduation losses, much of the defensive line uh, is going to have new faces or faces we're just not very familiar with because they were mainly in backup roles a season ago. And uh, that remains an area of concern. Uh, especially for a unit uh, that, um, you know, certainly had challenges as a, as a defense. They, uh, they, they often bent but did not break. And, again, the difference between an undefeated season and a couple of losses along the way could be in that area. And, and I'd put third, maybe not ranked one, two, three, but in the mix, special teams. UCF has been fortunate to have a reliable punter, a long snapper and place kicker, and you're replacing all three. So they're going to be new names in the mix. And it was a unit during the spring spring game that Coach Heupel said uh, struggled, you know, didn't have their best performances. And, you know, UCF has put up so many points the last couple of seasons that it hasn't come down to that game-winning field goal 40 yards out with three seconds to go. And you had a feeling that Matt Wright, Matty Ice would make that kick. And now we don't know. It doesn't mean that anyone on that roster or, uh, you know, student athletes that have not even arrived on campus yet aren't up to the task. Everyone started somewhere new. It's just when you're talking about replacing senior leadership, 
and it's college football, sometimes special teams can be a little wacky. And again, that could be a game here or a game there. Things just don't go right. So for me, maybe it's just my nervousness uh, as a UCF alum who covers the program, a change at quarterback, some losses on the defensive line, and a whole new battery and special teams. And, uh, you know, I just not get my hopes set on an undefeated campaign again. Well, I'll tell you, you do bring up an interesting point because uh, yeah, the kicking game is uh, such an unknown variable because you can practice it all you want, but when the money kick is there, that's a whole different set of pressure. Yeah, and you look at the schedule for as much talk as there is uh, amongst the nation about strength of UCF schedule, it was still the case last year that Cincinnati – Temple, Florida Atlantic were home games. Pittsburgh, a home game. And UCF is on the road for all of those. And what does it mean on a Friday night in Cincinnati? Game coming down to the wire, perhaps, that you need a kick, uh, a game-winning field goal. We just don't know. And maybe it doesn't come to that. And maybe UCF continues to put up uh, high-flying offensive performances. Players during camp have spoken about it being even faster. At some point, uh, how can it be even faster? <laughs> what impact does that make on your defense? But I'll give them their due and say that it is faster. Is it uh, 45, 50 points a game and you keep outscoring teams? Is the defense better than it was a year ago in the second year under defensive coordinator Randy Shannon? You know, the glass is certainly very full, more than half full in many areas, but in any case, in any program, you're going to have some question marks. And I'd say those are a couple uh, that aren't settled and necessarily won't be settled when we get to the end of fall camp, as you say, until the lights are on and the game is on the line. We might not know what some of these guys are capable of. Yeah, so... On the defense, you mentioned some of the losses there, but I tell you the guy I'm really excited about is Nate Evans, and you could really see him coming on last year and emerging and becoming a tackling machine. I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table this coming season. Yeah, and you know, what a what a nice guy to talk with as well, with an upbeat personality, and that is the case, of course, with UCF student-athletes. You get to see him in different lights, and, and uh, he is certainly someone that has shown a vocal leadership and, uh, you know, college football, the beauty of college football, right, is uh, you fall in love with these guys, and then they move on, and then a new crop of guys comes on. And you can see the uh, leadership developing uh, with him, uh, and I agree with you. He, he could be, he will be, he should be key to the 2019 season on defense. Well, last week uh, you also covered the uh, Hall of Fame inductions uh, for the UCF Hall of Fame, and uh, uh, great class going in as always. And I'm going to run through through them a little bit and get your comments on on each of them. Uh, Eileen Reese, uh, women's soccer, 2007 to 2011. Uh, heard your thoughts on her? Oh, certainly deserving, and uh, it was a welcome return for the Athletics Hall of Fame. Had been a couple of years since the last uh, ceremony, and uh, Athletics Director Danny White said that uh, UCF intends for this to be an annual event, and I think that is welcome uh, and certainly deserved. Aileen Reese, uh, you know, she's certainly a standout uh, women's soccer, and uh, perhaps more notable now than what her success was as a Knight, is that she's on Brazil's national team 
and uh, we are in a World Cup year. So she made the trek uh, across country, across the country, across the world, to, to come and uh, be in Orlando on uh, Friday night for the ceremony. Uh, saw her after the ceremony outside the hotel, and she was walking her dog, and I was struck by that. And I said to her, is it your dog? And she says the, the dog travels everywhere with her. So uh, I think she's someone to keep an eye on, uh, with this being a World Cup year, and certainly uh, deserving uh, with all of her success as a knight. And I always admire a pet lover as well. Uh, Allison Kime from Softball. Uh, also a standout uh, in Conference USA years. Just the second softball player to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, all Conference USA first team or twice. Uh, she uh, holds records that are still on the books at UCF, ERA record wins, shutouts, innings pitch, strikeouts, a career holder for ERA, opponent batting average. Uh, so uh, good to see uh, her make it into the Hall of Fame, the second of what we would anticipate are going to be even more uh, softball inductions over the course of the years because it's been a successful program and relatively young program at that. And uh, she uh, she uh, had a little one with her and uh, a new baby on the way. And uh, she was very happy to be uh, welcomed back to UCF and be a part of the festivities. All right. So Drew Butera. Now, I will this won't really tell you how old I am, but I remember watching his dad in minor league baseball playing for the Orlando Twins at Tinker Field. So he, you are aging yourself with that omission, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, Drew back in the major leagues with the Colorado Rockies now. Drew Butera, it could be argued, is uh, the most prominent name in uh, UCF baseball history from a major league baseball standpoint. Ten years in the majors, and he's never been uh, the most intimidating offensive threat, but he is certainly. Uh, been strong standout defensively. He was not at the ceremony. You mentioned his dad. His dad accepted on his behalf, and of all the speeches, it was his dad who got choked up and the most emotional. At the time, uh, Drew was with Albuquerque and has now since been called back up to uh, Colorado, so he's back on the big club. Uh, and he, you know, he, he's played now be 10 seasons, uh, won a world championship with the Royals in 2015. And uh, that's, that's pretty good. It's another uh, tidbit included in his induction, one of only five players in Major League Baseball history to catch no-hitter in both the American and National Leagues. One of the categories for the Hall of Fame that seems, uh, I'm not 100% sure of this, but seems that he falls under is uh, they included people who had success uh, post-UCF. So his professional career in Major League Baseball Far more the standout than perhaps what he did when he was a knight. So we turn to football, and of course, one of the all-time great knights in Kevin Smith, who had not only one of the great seasons in UCF history, but in college football history in 2007. And uh, what a remarkable running back he was for UCF. And, and a lot of times, he was the offense. <laughs> yeah, and when you look at the uh, statistics from the Knights rushing last year with so many different players getting touches and you total up all of the yards, boy, they still don't come anywhere close. You mentioned those statistics, 2007, 2,567 yards, 29 touchdowns. He holds 14 records, other records at UCF, 
and it really was uh, Kyle Israel handing the ball off to uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin's now an assistant coach at Florida Atlantic. Uh, uh, he had an opportunity to uh, speak with the media, as all the representatives did. I asked him about that. What, what's got to go right uh, in Boca Raton this year for the Owls? And uh, He said, uh, you know, who, who does the better job coaching and who has the better athletes? And he's already in the coach speak. So <laughs> uh, if there was anyone uh, that uh, you could argue very well-deserving for his time at UCF. Certainly a no-brainer here in Kevin Smith. Very humble at his acceptance and uh, proper fit in the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. And one of the terrific wide receivers, and UCF has had a tremendous history with wide receivers, Brandon Marshall. And, and, and of course, I always remember about him because the team was so bad, he played defense, Him and both him and Mike Walker, and he, and he was pretty good on that side of the ball, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, longer-term fans, and it, I know for some who have only discovered UCF had football the last couple of seasons, there really was a program back then. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and George O'Leary coming on board between, uh, you know, the changeover in the program and the number of student-athletes who were not a part of the mix any longer and uh, injuries. Uh, you're right. It was he who excelled at defensive back. He led the team in tackles in 2004. Coach O'Leary spoke of him in the uh, media session and has said other places that, uh, you know, he'd have been a pretty good defensive player. He could have seen him being in this Hall of Fame for his, uh, his defensive skills. He is in as a wide receiver. He seems to me to be someone as well who gets that Hall of Fame nod, not so much for the battery of work that he had while a knight, but his post-UCF career. 13 seasons in the NFL. Of course, we know him from the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Bears, a couple of cups of coffee there with the Jets, the Giants, the Seahawks, the Saints. And he has not ruled out that uh, maybe he'll get some more time in the NFL. I don't know about that. Uh, I wish him luck in that regard. Um, and he also, of course, uh, you know, proud to be a Knight, proud to be there, big supporter of the program. Uh, and it was, though, his work in the NFL that really, really uh, puts him in position here. And, of course, we meet, remember him from, um, you know, his standout performance in the Hawaii Bowl, what he did in that game. Uh, but a good representative. Again, it depends on how you want to look at a Hall of Fame. Is it for what they did while they were a Knight or what they did post-UCF? In the case of Butera and uh, Brandon Marshall, to me, it seems more of what they did post-UCF where Kevin Smith, you know, his, uh, you know, his work as a Knight is what really got him in. And, of course, finally, George O'Leary, the polarizing head coach for 12 seasons of the Knights. And I thought, uh, by the way, the Sons of UCF, uh, which is also on the Nightline Sports Network, great interview with him. Uh, You know, you can say what you want about George O'Leary, but he did bring the program to new heights. Certainly. And I think polarizing uh, is probably the most appropriate word, Um, you know, in social media posts and message board comments. uh, Still, there are quite a few people that aren't sure he should be in that Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, he begins with a winless season. He ends with a winless season. Uh, he resigns, uh, you know, into that last season. 
a uh, uh, wish I could forget 2015 campaign, but along the way helped lead UCF in terms of facilities growth uh, and his relationship with donors, uh, you know, the on-campus stadium, the field house, just the explosion, the change in culture, and along the way, conference championships, bowl games, and no one will soon forget that Fiesta Bowl when he hoisted that trophy. Uh, perhaps uh, the most shining moment for him, only eclipsed in terms of UCF sports by what would happen uh, a few seasons later in the Fiesta Bowl. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, areas of accomplishment for Coach O'Leary that perhaps he doesn't get enough credit for is the amount of student-athletes that graduated, uh, the great point average. I know fans are more concerned uh, with wins and losses as someone whose diploma as UCF, I'm glad when the uh, university does well and the sports programs do well. I also like when they do well academically. He put a lot of guys into the NFL as well. And uh, so he, he's always going to be that polarizing figure. You love him or you hate him. He was classic George O'Leary during his acceptance speech. Uh, all of the participants were asked to give about five minutes at the mic, and he took 18. <laughs> so uh, he threw out his classic one-liners and uh, ripped a few folks in the crowd. And I found that in his acceptance speech, his interviews with the media, as well as a very lengthy conversation that he had, as you mentioned, on the Sons of UCF a couple weeks back, uh, he seems more at ease with his place in UCF history. Uh, you know, he didn't go out the way he would have wanted to go out. That way he went out uh, was not what fans wanted to see from the program. Of course, you might not have had a Scott Frost and the turnaround, and, you know, a Mackenzie Milton and all of the names that we now know over this incredible run if things did not end the way they did. Uh, but he seems more accepting of his place in UCF history. And, you know, he now has not only a statue on campus, but he's in the Athletics Hall of Fame. So love him or tired of him, uh, he has been a prominent uh, person in the growth of UCF football and UCF athletics, and he'll be a name we talk about for many years to come. No doubt about that. And uh, Trace, how about giving us some shameless plugs for Nightline? I don't even know what you're talking about. You can find <laughs> Nightline on Nightline Sports Network. Uh, fresh Nightline episode. Typically, uh, every Sunday night we drop uh, coming up on Easter, so we will be taking that week off to spend time with family. Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Just past 4,000 Twitter followers. Always welcoming people. You can like us on Facebook as well, nightlinesports.com, uh, where you'll find archived episodes. And uh, officially now on this program, you know, a big welcome to you, a big thank you to you for your coverage of the AAC. Uh, it certainly is becoming a more prominent conference with their lengthy television deal that you've talked about. Uh, you have interviewed Co Commissioner Oresco about that. Uh, and, you know, and now the news this week of SEC, American Challenge in basketball. So if they can get a couple of better bowl tie-ins, uh, it's certainly a conference that has got separation uh, with the uh, couple of conferences below it. And trying to play catch-up with a couple ahead of it, but maybe in its own lane and is certainly a strong conference from football to basketball and all of the Olympic sports. And, um, you know, it seems at the moment to be a good fit for UCF. 
UCF doing well in the American. All right, Trace Troco from the Nightline Sports Network. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Jeff. And I will also throw my shameless plug in for the next AAC reports. We'll get that out on the Nightline Sports Network for you next week. And uh, I'll be talking to Spencer Tuckerman. He's with OVarsity.com about Mick Cronin leaving for UCLA and John Brannon coming in to take the job from Northern Kentucky. So that will be next week on the Nightline Sports Network, which I am thrilled and happy to be a part of. Before we close tonight, what I forgot to talk about last week. You see, you know, you know, if I don't write it down or if I don't put it in my Google Doc, chances are I'm going to forget. <laughs> As I was wrapping up the discussion of the NCAA basketball tournament, uh, I saw an article that talked about how the NCAA should rethink the Final Four and taking it away from Saturday, Monday. And I could not agree more. A Monday tip, like at 925, is just brutal for the East Coast and the Central Time Zone, where the majority of the viewership is. And, you know, I know it. it the West Coast is considered, they don't want those games starting before 6 o'clock on the West Coast, but... The way to avoid that would be to change it up. Maybe you go Thursday, Saturday and have a Saturday night championship game where the start time won't be as difficult. Friday, Sunday, possibly. Maybe you do a 7 o'clock tip on a Sunday night. The Friday night part would be a little bit of the issue because that is the, the toughest night for networks as far as TV viewing is concerned, but it might be worth uh, worth looking into. Maybe you even go Thursday, Sunday. That's a possibility too. It says you have to have just one day in between the Final Four and the NCAA Championship. I would be so thrilled to see that happen. Um, it's it, The Monday night game is really, really a struggle for me to watch, even when I really, really, really want to watch it. It's, it's tough uh, you know, for guys like us who get up at you know 5 o'clock in the morning. I know, that's my problem. Go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. You can subscribe to the podcast, available on all of the major platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify. Just started now on Stitcher, so uh, go to the website, click on subscribe, find the podcast venue of your choice, and uh, get hooked up and subscribe and catch this each and every week. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. 
Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients, so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.